0: At what
1: point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the
0: male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Very happy to be joined today by Josh Blank, research director of the Texas Politics Project. Welcome back, Josh. Thanks for having me. Well what to talk about today obviously at the top of the agenda would be uh, the Dobbs v Jackson decision uh, which overturned Roe v Wade at the federal level uh, which was handed down late last week uh, as we record uh, Wednesday morning uh, here in Texas um you know we talked about this a lot yeah. Um, now, in the past. Right. Again. I mean, certainly not the first time we've talked about it on the podcast, you know, given, you know, what was a lot of activity around this issue in the Texas legislature is it, in the last session last year. You know, as it turns out, that was not the case that went before the court. Right. Um, but Texas did have a trigger law on the books, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that. You know, should you know, which had the contingency, should Roe be overturned by the Supreme Court? That at least in the law, yeah. You know, thirty days after the
1: opinion is officially the issued. opinion was
0: officially handed down, not just the opinion itself announced. Um, that abortion, that you know, the that abortion would be would be banned in Texas, and that you know, the operative laws in the state would then go into effect now. You know, that's been complicated. Right. Um, The day of the decision, the Attorney General, uh, uh, Ken Paxton, issuing an advisory on one hand saying that the trigger law was not quite in effect because of that 30-day provision, but also saying that localities, local authorities may well begin... You know uh uh enforcing a ban on abortion that had been on the uh, on the books in texas yeah you know prior to roe v wade going back to the 1920s 1925 i think well, this, sort of, this is this
1: is an ongoing question about the fallout of this is that basically any case that was overturned kind of through the logic of right. the roe v wade penumbra of privacy rights etc griswold and so on and so forth right do they go back and they're sort of i mean this is sort of an, i think as my understanding, this is sort of an ongoing case of kind of like or aspect of law to try to understand so these case you know all these laws automatically go back on the books right so and, and and in
0: fact there's now right now the the implementation of that 1920s law has been enjoined by a court right um has been blocked by a court for the time being
1: well and the thing and the main point here is like you know for i mean the main point here is like that may sort of i don't know sort of i mean it's not
0: well i don't know that it's the main point but well, I, mean, I mean a
1: point of it would just to be to say like yeah that's going on and to the extent that that's sitting in the court system ultimately the the trigger law is going to circumvent that Sooner than later, that's, I
0: think that's the general expectation, and all the and all that that really does is roll you back to the six week ban, right? That was passed by the legislature. Right. As such, um,
1: when a lot of you know, there, are- you, know
0: the, you know, for for what you know would seem to be a few days. I mean, you know, per the coverage, anyway. And and it's not even, you know, and the effect of that of that decision is not even universal across the state. Right. Uh, it only applies to a set of clinics that were that were plaintiffs in that in and, that And appeal, some clinics right, are already just stopping motion.
1: providing services already at this point, basically because right. because of the uncertain legal environment. Right. Well,
0: Any- I th- my understanding is everybody had stopped. Now those that were parties to this motion that resulted mm. in will now go back to at least complying with the six-week law that was passed, the six-week limit that was passed in the last legislature, to say nothing of the bounty system and all of these other right. things that are going on. So you know, obviously, you know, we, we have a lot of polling on this. And and one of the things that we've that we've said going forward, and you know, I think, you know, not to foreshadow where we arrive here, you know, this this will be, you know, pick your term, an inflection point, a watershed we think. I mean, yeah. certainly it is policy wise, whether it is attitudinally, it's certainly going to change the way that we pull on this. But one of the things that we've said all along is that the basic patterns in public attitudes have been stable for a long time.
1: Yeah, remarkably so. I mean, what I would often say, you know, because, I mean, look, Texas has passed a lot of laws to limit abortion over the last decade in which we plus in which we've been polling. Uh, of which in which we've 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 tested you know lots of sort of generic questions very specific questions and i think the thing that i always say when when there's sort of a reaction to a new law or something that sort of seems to really push the bounds of wherever the discussion was is you know there'd be sort of this question out in the ether it's like well does this change things and the answer is well, no Most of the time, the answer has been no. And the the reason I would give is that, well, for the most part, people know what they think about abortion in a general sense. Uh, You know, again, whether they think deeply about it, but at a very sort of high level, we talk about, you know, generally orientations, pro-life, pro-choice. Should people be able to access abortions? Never or not. That kind of thing. I think people generally know where they are. and the The strategy, you know, by Republican and conservative legislators to chip away at abortion access hasn't doesn't really necessarily result in a big change in the way that people think about abortion, right? The fundamentals and what does that look like? You know, over I guess fourteen surveys that we conducted up until last April, no more than seventeen percent of te- of Texas voters have ever said that abortion should never be accessible. Right. And that's sort of, I think, the overarching headline kind of takeaway about where opinions stood kind of going up to the eve of this decision is that, you know, very few uh, Texans think that, you know, no one should that basically no one should ever access an abortion. Uh, the plurality of Democrats consistently nearly 70 percent usually say that basically it's a matter of personal choice that, you know, the circumstances don't matter. But that's kind of where Democrats are. On the flip side, you know, one in five Republican women have consistently supported access as a matter of personal choice. So at the Democratic position on this, as opposed to one in 10 Republican men. And again, this has been consistent throughout the entirety of the time that we've been polling. Uh, You know, the trigger law that you mentioned, uh, we've consistently found we've asked it uh, four times up until last April. And we found that at least 53% of Texas voters have expressed opposition to the outright ban each time with no more right. than 37% of voters saying they support an automatic ban uh, on abortion. And so that's sort of, I think, what we think of as kind of the set piece, right. right? It's sort of where we are now that abortion is legal. It's important to know that most Texans don't think that abortion should be inaccessible. The vast majority think it, yeah. should, be, it should be accessible across. And we can also say from other polling that we've done, Across a range of circumstances, and that's important. So I think that's kind of the pattern. You know, there generally tends to be Republican support for most most efforts to limit abortion access. There's certainly more Republican support for an overall ban. But again, even among Republicans, uh, usually it's less than one in five would say that abortion should never be accessed, which is where we basically are at this moment in Texas. Right. I mean,
0: I, you know, I think it's always, you know, and, and we've talked about this. I, I think after the last poll, we had a discussion about the kind of standard abortion question when, when Darren Shaw was here mm-hmm. and there's a lot lurking in, it's a lot
1: lurking in, in
0: the categories in that question that I think, you know, are now going to be in a sense, um, you know, brought out, you know, I, I think the ambiguities in these positions and in the difficulty that we've had, or at least, you know, we talked about this, that I've had in interpreting that question and the results, particularly mm-hmm. along partisan lines, is really going to become, is becoming more apparent at this moment and is likely to become more apparent as we move forward.
1: Well, I think that's, and I think that's, you know, you're talking about this inflection point piece and it's sort of, you know, and, you know, as a, I should say first and foremost, we're talking about the political implications and ramifications about it. It's not any personal ramifications. We're just trying to understand this in sort of a broad sense. Um, And I think, you know, but I mean, we're talking about the inflection point there. I think that's exactly right. You know, we talk about like kind of the quote unquote standard abortion question. Nobody's happy with these questions because ultimately what you find is that, you know, there's a couple, there's two sort of at least two axes in here that you automatically either acknowledge or ignore, which is like, what are the circumstances that are leading to the abortion? And when is the abortion right. being, you know, being gotten,
0: being admitted? And we should say right? what that standard abortion question is. I mean, oh, yeah, we're sure. talking about it.
1: Right. And so we basically ask, you know, more or less, uh, you know, I actually don't have the wording in front of me.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, ba- a basic, you know, what is your opinion on the availability? Oh, the
1: available abortion? And basically the answers are, period. you know, it should never be accessible. It should be accessible only in the cases in which the life of the mother is endangered or the, you know, the pregnancy is the result of rape or incest. There's a third squishier category, which says life you know, is endangered, rape, incest. I've got it right in front yeah, some of me. Other wor- stuff.
0: The wording of that third option, which is the one that's yeah. always been, you know, squishiest and problematic in my mind, although you could, if you look at it sideways, it makes sense. Darren did a good job of defending this, as I recall. Uh-huh. The law should permit abortion for reasons other than rape, incest, or danger to the woman's life, but only after the need for the abortion has been clearly established. Yep. Now, to me that has always just been terrible phrasing. Just, I get it. And just
1: aside, you know, if you're listening to you thing, why do you ask it that way?
0: Okay. Right. And then and just, just yeah. so that we flesh it out. And then the fourth option is by law, a woman should always be able to obtain an abortion as a matter of personal choice. Right. So, you know, I mean the way I mean you have kind of two variations. It's almost as if the the scale, you know, is not is not symmetrical. Right. Which is well the middle of the in scale, my, my the, view, Well, the right? issue
1: is that the middle of the scale is not symmetrical. Right. So the idea is and so this is and this is just in terms of interpretation. I think that the key here is that the middle is very squishy on this. I think the idea is that the endpoints tell you something. endpoints tell you that a, a minority of Texans less than one in five think that abortion should never be permitted. Yeah, well plura- less
0: than one in five really consistently The is. plurality
1: of Texans consistently yeah. express the position that abortion should always be permitted as a matter of personal choice. But then you could say, I mean, if you were to look at the categories individually, but then if you combine the categories, say, well, or an equal share or a plurality think that abortion should be allowed in some circumstances. Right. And that's where I think, but this is the issue now. Prior to the Dobbs decision, the idea was, well, okay, within a certain time frame, you know, those circumstances were kind of you know, left to sort of the personal discretion of the person, you know, their own moral beliefs, their, situation. Know, their own situation, right? And then you say, and then the time frame is be kind of becoming, becomes the issue. You know, ultimately, even, you know, as Republicans in Texas have sort of chipped away at access to abortion, it's, you know, almost never been based on the circumstance. It's always been about, you know, the provision of how, when the abortion is going, when you can get an abortion, how it's going to be administered, what the what the sort of, you know, is there gonna be an ultrasound? Is there gonna be a waiting period? What kind of information are we gonna give you? But it hasn't been about like, well, why are you here? right? But ultimately this is fundamentally kind of like the it of abortion, but prior to Dobbs, ultimately, if you're just talking about, you know, within a time window and sort of these sort of, you know, it's very abstract. But to me why is this is a wash, but now we really are getting down to this sort of well what when should a right. woman be able to get an abortion because ultimately most texans think that a woman should be able to get an abortion at some point but in texas there's only one circumstance in which you can and that's when their life is endangered and even that's a little bit murky in terms of how you actually determine that at this point right
0: yeah i mean i mean that standard you know the threat to a woman's health and life has always been something that a, opponents of abortion rights have attacked as too vague right, right as an exception and so there's um, a
1: perfect example of that i think you know banning abortion completely or even close to completely right so we say like you know including like in the case of rape or in the case of incest has never had a majority support including among republicans right and ultimately the law makes no provision for that so we kind of hit an interesting point i said like you know we're talking about like our you know again just as pollsters yeah you know, eggheads it's like so you know thinking about going ahead assuming republicans win majority of the legislatures here in texas which is no reason to assume they won't you know good reason to expect abbott's still going to be the governor even if he's not is the legislature going to make exceptions for rape and incest next session?
0: Right. And we should say that you know we you know it in the last session this debate did open up more because of the extremity of the Texas law. So there was there was a more robust discussion in the floor debate and in committee mm-hmm. on both timing and conditions. I don't want to sort of obscure that. Um, so you know, this kind of returns to the returns us to the discussion that we had throughout the 2021 session right. as the six week ban with the the quote unquote bounty provision was included. I mean, you know, did the leg- did the legislature and the governor did the, we should say we should say did the Republican majority in the legislature and the governor go beyond the threshold of Republican opinion and Republican support? when they passed both the trigger bill and that six-week ban in 2021 and and even you know if they did does you know how much will it matter in the overall that's two different questions but
1: yeah it's interesting i mean in some sense i think there's sort of two answers right it's like politically no because politically the way the discussion had been taking place and was continuing to take place on the trajectory that it was on before the dobbs decision meant that this was, you know, another example of, I think, Republican legislators passing pro-life laws as they are supposed to do, right? right. I mean, as, as they've promised. But now we're into the state of, like, the practicality piece. And I think even, and I think they pushed on that, right? I think the bounty system was pushing on the practicality piece of this. But now I think, you know, I don't think that they necessarily went too far and kind of within their coalition piece. But now we get to the practical implementation of an outright ban and i think now they're starting to walk up to a place where you know if not too far it's going to be hard not to go too far
0: well because you know but i you know and i think i might also say add to that though that i mean it may be that they did they i think because of that they may well in retrospect have gone too far at least with the trigger bill right because i think that you know the yeah, there is a sense of the abstract made real here. Yeah, absolutely. That I think you know, was envisioned but again was envisioned in the abstract and the implementation of this now you know is going is going to to involve some real political fights inside the party. Yes. That I think are going to resemble the political fights that we saw you know 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. when the preferred way of dealing with abortion in the legislature for a lot of people, even though it went unspoken, was to avoid forcing members to vote right. on severe restrictions. Right. That became sort of non-operative. Right. Under the conditions in the legislature in twenty twenty-one, and and you know came close in in. 2017 and 2019, but never really kind of reached critical mass. In retrospect, you could kind of see it coming. Yeah. And that more of these votes on some of these laws were, you know, getting closer to the floor. um, Mm -hmm. And it was taking more effort to keep them off the floor, I think. And those efforts, you know, didn't take place in 2021. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you had the Joe Strauss period.
1: Yeah. I think, I I I mean, where that
0: was, you know, kind of. You know the previous con- conventional approach kind of held through much of the Strauss period. It, you know, but that also became one of the things that the the far right dinged and and criticized Strauss for as a as a not real conservative.
1: Sarah Davis also not in the legislature anymore. Long exactly,
0: and and that just kind of broke in 2021, and that really you know and so I, you know it's it's unclear to me what that is going to look like in the next session. I I think to me that's like one of the questions. On one hand, we're already hearing people talk about, you know, some of the far right legislators from very safe districts talking about what the next steps are. And and look, the you know, the advocates in in the anti abortion sort of organized anti-abortion universe in Texas are already telegraphing where they want to go next on on news shows and in interviews and that is they want to go up to stepping up enforcement. Um to paraphrase one of those advocates that was on at least Austin television over the weekend, you know, the the position was very explicitly, you know, this is a big this is a big step forward for us. We think it's great. We still have an agenda and that agenda is to make sure that enforcement measures are up to, you know, enforcing, you know, what, you know, the new reality here. Right. Um, even as you're seeing, you know, some of the bigger, more liberal urban areas, of course, Austin among them, sure. but but in other areas, you know, looking to curb enforcement.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the combination of the breakdown in leadership sort of to kind of control the discussion, it, you know, it does create a real, uh, a real sense of exposure when you think about going to the next session when the question is going to be whether, you know, the Republican leadership is talking about enforcement on the one hand or exceptions on the other. Neither of those are going to be very easy discussions to have within the Republican caucus. Right. Right. And and, 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 I mean, the thing that kind of struck me so much about this was like, you know, we talk, we keep kind of flirting with this idea of like abstract versus concrete. Yeah. You know. And to me, you know, when I think about, you know, again, I, we were talking about this earlier where, you know, your view of these sort of debates and the arc of them, I mean, it's very much dependent on a lot of things about your own personal circumstances, your age and kind of where you come from and what yeah. laws you're, you know, so I mean, I just, I think that that's just, I just got to put that out there. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm sort of thinking about here is, you know, you take sort of the breakdown of the leadership the sort of difficult set of discussions you're gonna have. And historically, the idea is this was really a top-heavy discussion, and it was abstract, right? You know, to the extent we're talking about abortion that is, you know, and I would say this before, but you know, this was under the framework that Roe v. Wade existed, and there'd be some allowance for abortion at least through the first trimester, even if there are little, you know, there are hurdles placed right. throughout. Um, you know, and The idea was, is that, I mean, I think we talked about it. It was like, well, what kind of nominees is this president going to put on the courts? Right. And that even is sort of a side discussion to bigger issues. Right. Um, You know, but now because the Supreme Court has said not that abortion is illegal, but that it's up to the states, I feel like this discussion becomes much more bottom up. I mean, you've already kind of hinted at in the sense of, you know, what is the most conservative Republican in the legislature talking about in their campaign at a candidate forum around this? Yeah. You know, is there video of it? Because, you know, ultimately the question then becomes, well, who else is for this policy? Right. I mean, there's something where, you know, usually the idea is like we think about campaigns being nationalized and sort of, you know, taking in these, you know, sort of big picture kind of macro things. And I think that's still a debate that's going to go on. Republicans are definitely in the the day of the Dobbs decision saying, hey, the only thing that really matters is inflation and immigration right now. So this is like, yeah, sure. And we can talk about this later but they'd much rather be talking about inflation and immigration because of these factors that we're kind of laying out here but now all of a sudden you know as you said like yeah austin may go and you know the da here is not going to prosecute the six-week ban right yeah i mean
0: the council has been considering a resolution
1: but but the flip side is there are 254 counties in texas most of them are very rural very conservative and have district attorneys who are kind of on their own at the attorney general's direction to still go and start enforcing these things. And ultimately... And our elected
0: officials. Yeah,
1: and the context is very different. I mean, like again, this is, you know, it's not 1955, it's not 1965. These sorts of, you know, horror stories that might come out going forward around this, they're not going to be in the shadows because they're going to be people posting to TikTok. They're going to be posting their stories on Instagram and the media is going to be covering them in a way that, you know, people are going to have to respond to and react to. And I just... I think the, the reality of sort of talking about like, you know, Texas passes, let's say, the ambulatory surgical center, you know, right. laws in 2013. Well, that that kicks off a two year legal battle. Right. Two, three year legal battle. Yes. A bunch of clinics closed during that. And then it gets settled. And they say, yeah, you can't do that. Well, now the legislature goes and says, OK, you know, we're going to start uh, collecting data from tech companies about, you know, right. about the travel of women of childbearing years in Texas. You know, there's all kinds of problems that can that are gonna that are gonna come up with something like that.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that um a lot of that is you know it's gonna take some of that I think a little while to to unspool. Absolutely, if you will. I mean, there's kind of a there's a short media. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's a short and and there's a sort of time horizon question here. In the nearest time horizon, I, you know, people are, you know, I mean, I took a press call a couple of days ago about you know the potential electoral consequences mm-hmm. of this in the upcoming election. And, you know, I mean, I think the obvious response to that, which is kind of all over the place, is that, you know, for the most part, you know, in uh, below the state level, mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, at the state level, I think, you know, I mean, my sense is this is, you know, We're already seeing this play out. I think the governor is not going to want to talk about this a whole lot. Yeah. In general, I doubt there are going to be a lot of campaign ads on this on the Republican side. No. And Democrats would like to talk about this because they see a wedge issue. Mm among among republicans and this is a mobilizing issue for democrats given that this is a disastrous outcome long anticipated
1: i think this is one of the worst hot takes i saw in the wake of this opinion was on tv the number of sort of anchors saying well this has always been such a good mobilizing issue for republicans so you know democrats have never really mobilized and so surely you know right the status quo and it's like yeah that's freaking i don't think so that's dumb and part of it is like yeah You've achieved what you wanted and, you know, and generally speaking, I mean, I think even a lot of recent history is a pretty good example. It's like, yeah, Barack Obama really got a got pay paid handsomely in the midterms for passing health care, huh? Right. You know, and so the idea that like, you know, you did what you said you were going to do and now like a bunch of new super pro-life voters are going to turn out. Yeah. I don't think so. But the difference for Democrats is they've been looking in Texas, for example, for an issue to mobilize young often non-white populations to turn out for the Democratic Party. And ultimately, like, you know, this is not a bad issue for that. Right.
0: I mean, I think, you know, you've got, you know, we were saying six or seven months ago, and we said this after, you know, we were talking, we the same thing came up after we we talked about the, the, the shootings in Uvalde. You know, we've been saying that the basic contextual election, conditions of this election really needed You know, to change for Democrats to be able to have, and certainly for O'Rourke to have Mm -hmm. a better shot at challenging Abbott and closing the gap. You know, this is another thing that breaks the Democrats' direction. Again, I don't, too soon, don't know if it will be decisive, et cetera. But certainly, of the things that could have happened. And we'd said very, you know, we were anticipating the decision, yeah. didn't know this is one of the things. And I, and I do wonder if that's already been baked in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know,
0: and then I think the medium longer term, I I, I just don't know at this point. And, and I think the other thing we should say below the state level is that, you know, I mean, I, I think this this potentially is an issue In some of these suburban areas that are competitive. But the problem is, you know, when you start really trying to dig in and come up with examples of that, A, it's still a little early. So a lot of some of those races are still taking shape. Right. And uh, off the top of your head, they're just because of redistricting, there aren't very many. No. We're talking about less, really less than 10 reasonably competitive races or even races that are more lean rather than locks for the parties.
1: Yeah, I don't think this changes, you know, much, if at all, you know, the likely outcome of kind of the the legislative races. I mean, the one thing I think it does change is the fact that, you know, if you think, look in those suburban districts, I do think that, you know, in competitive suburban districts where, you know, I think Republican candidates are going to probably be forced by their challengers to answer, you know, policy prescriptions be coming out of far more conservative districts and right. i think that's going to be a challenge uh but as to your point i mean so maybe you know if that ends up leading to the democrats winning one or two more seats than they would have already won in the house not in the senate be right. clear well okay then the republicans still have a, a pretty solid majority uh i mean i say this for a while i mean i think you know the real issue is does this make the you know, does this make the top of the ticket races more challenge, you know, more challenging for Republicans? And I think, you know, it's already going to be the most challenging cycle they've had, despite, honestly, the fact that everything else, if we take out, take, sure. away, take away this and take away Uvalde and take away the grid, let's say, just as just, you know, take right. those, you know, Republicans would be cruising to, vic, you know, to victories right now in November, and they may still cruise to victories. But I mean, most of the polling that we're seeing even before Uvalde,
0: yeah. just to be
1: clear, you know, had Abbott in a f- five, you know, four to seven point lead range, let's say, right? And with this decision and with all the kind of talk that's going to come out after it and sort of the discussion of it, you know, it's not like Abbott needs to all of a sudden hemorrhage a bunch of support. But, you know, if independents shift a couple points, if, you know, some number of the, you know, let's see here, the let's say, you know, 20 percent of Republican women who are basically believe that Repu- you know basically abortion access is a, is a right for women to make on right. their own decide, you know, I'm just going to sit this one out. Yeah, you, you know begin... these little things add up, not to necessarily flip it, but all of a sudden, you know, if you're sitting there and you're saying like, "Boy, you know, this isn't a five or six point race, this is a two point race," right? Then you get to the point where you know circumstances could have an impact leading right. to election day. So that's you know, I agree. I'm not sure if it's baked in. I mean, I'd say I, I don't. Well, I, don't I don't think it's baked in just just yet. But. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I think you know, part of what this raises in terms of thinking about the broader political and electoral context right now, though, is that. You know, this is one more issue Mm -hmm. after guns where Republican candidates, particularly Governor Abbott, statewide candidates, have to thread the needle a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was this broader discussion that we've had here that's going on, you know, more broadly about, you know, whether the Republican Party in Texas, and and in some cases nationally, is, is occupying positions that are that don't enjoy majority support, right? start, you know, and lead to questions like, well, you know, do you really, are you really paying attention to everybody? Or are you just paying attention to your constituency? Now, well,
1: really, in the subsets of your constituency, even right, in some
0: cases. As, as, you know, and and that feeds into some broader things, not just about democracy, but about the mood in the state mm-hmm. that we've seen intermittently, but more consistent, you know, I I think we're going to start seeing it, you know, we're beginning to see it more consistently in the state in which there's a real, you know, we were calling it sourness, but I think it's, we've gone beyond sour or dour, you know, to a, a real sense that things are institutions, general conditions in the state, almost any institution or governing official you ask about really not viewed very favorably by a huge part of the, the population and if you put things in a very partisan framework yeah but I mean you know I mean you know we've seen Governor Abbott's numbers move around his job approval numbers including among Republicans move around quite a bit and one would say overall decay some um well, you never- know, our right track wrong track numbers the general obviously the, a lot of this is, is, is shaped by the general economy and, and but I think that You know, the effort of Republican candidates, again, particular statewide candidates, to blame this all on Joe Biden and to blame it all on the Democrats, I think is likely to become a little less effective going forward. Now, whether the Democrats, because of negative partisan, can actually exploit that, particularly in Texas, you know, beating a dead horse here where Democrats just start from a a weak position— uh, but, but I think this decision is going to feed that a, a bit more.
1: I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, you know, the word that I would you know use, I think, is just, you know, there's there's it's evident in the polling. And this isn't based on some sort of a short timeline or something. This is us looking, you know, through the last housing crisis, you know, over a number of years. You know, there's a lot of dissatisfaction in the state now, surely, yeah. of course, it's overwhelming among Democrats, but it's also pretty overwhelming among independents. Right. And there's not a small share, and there's a more than a small share of Republicans who also are expressing this dissatisfaction. And I keep saying, you know, in a, in a sort of colloquial way, if anybody talk colloquially about polling results, it's like, I don't know how long you can play in negative public opinion territory and continue to enjoy, you know, right. that the kind of support you need to having a governing majority. Now, I do think, you know, to your point here, I mean, one aspect of this that's always kind of difficult for Democrats, we sort of I'll make the connection here, is, you know, not having competitive local races, which is kind of where we are, doesn't help, right, you know, at the statewide level for this, ultimately, you know, in terms of turnout and that kind of thing. I mean, Beto O'Rourke benefited in his last run for Senate significantly by the fact that Democrats ran candidates in every district. Trump wasn't on the ballot, but he was an overarching factor. And they were able to turn out voters, you know, whether they can do that with Biden in the White House, bad economy uh, or, you know, high inflation, let's say, um, and these other issues, you know, we'll see. But I mean, to your point, and I, I sort of, you know, I sort of think about this. I mean, there's a couple of things here. I mean, I think about like you, know, you brought this up, and I'm going to kind of bring it back around. But it's like immigration is an interesting story. There's a bunch of different issues you can look at and think, how does this compare or not? And you know, there's sort of this aspect where immigration is a great issue for Republicans. Democrat. There's no, you know, sort of sense that among the voters that Democrats would do a better job on it in most cases, or at least broadly enough for it to be a good issue for Democrats. And it kind of raises the issue is like, you know, do you know, is it better for Republicans to solve the immigration issue or to have the immigration right. issue? And it's clearly better to have the immigration issue. And I wonder about that. Like, well, now they've solved the abortion issue, sort of at least the first stage of it. But the next stage is like a lot less advantageous for them than kind of fighting the good fight. And so now they're in this position where, you know, now that they've you know kind of gotten what they wanted. Yeah is it really as potent of an issue anymore? And furthermore, does it become, you know, a ma- a big, big counter-mobilizer? And I think, you know...
0: It's, it's going to be, I mean, you know, look, I mean, I would be surprised if this is not a counter-mobilization opportunity for Democrats to some degree. It's just, yeah. what is that degree going to be? Um, yeah. And again, you know, where, you know, where are independents on this? Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, going back to just the larger context for uh, another beat, I mean, I think that, You know, there's something to the difficulty that has accumulated over time for Republicans in Texas and being able to, you know, I mean, being able to point to the Democrats being a threat or doing it wrong. And this, you know, we were I think we talked about this a bit last week or the week before that. You know, at some point, you own the environment, and I think we're seeing that. You know, you raised immigration, yeah. which was lurking back there, but we had already brought it. But now, now that it's on there, I mean, we had this—you know—we've had this horrible incident in the last, you know, day and a half where we, you know, we, outside of Dan- down uh, outside of San Antonio or in the outskirts of San Antonio, as most people will have heard by now, you know, a—you know—we've got over fifty migrants that were, you know. Undocumented migrants, probably being you know by all accounts being human smuggled, probably. you know into into the into Texas, and some of the response has been. I mean, look, so the initial Abbott response was very predictable, was They're, to say, you know, this is the failure of, you know, once again, Joe Biden, you know, has right. failed to fix the border, and this is what happens when you have open borders. But I mean, the logic fails there pretty quickly, right. given yeah. that. You know, if we had an open border, actually, you wouldn't have human smuggling, presumably. Presumably. And so the lot, you know, the basic logic is there. Now, look, you know, no politician ever went broke for the most part.
1: Oh, but the bigger picture. You know,
0: but the, big, but the bigger picture there is, you know, you've been spending, you just have been spending $3 billion, $3 billion, $3 billion plus in the last couple and of years, for the, you know, Operation Lone Star has now been in effect for a year. Seems like you have some ownership over this problem what? and and over this particular instance and, and you know that's you know i mean it's almost as if you know the advantage that we've been, been anticipating for them in border security and immigration this was an instance that is not very good for that i mean it's one thing to have people s- accumulating at the border as right. part of a quote-unquote caravan it's another thing to have 50 plus de- you know dead people right um Dying, in horrific your state, horrific circumstances in a, yeah very horrific circumstances and you know you tr- you know and and the incumbents trying to blame it on the Demo- you know blame it on Joe Biden in a way that's not particularly rational
1: no and that's the thing and in part and that ownership thing is key i mean i think you know again going back to the whole this is you know this isn't the media environment of the 1950s we're going to hear a lot of pretty terrible stories over time. And some of that is gonna be immediate. Some of it is gonna be over time as more of uh, these laws go into effect. And if you say, who owns this? You can't point the finger at Democrats. You can't point the finger at anybody else. This is Texas's laws passed by a Republican majority that's been in control of the state for the entirety of this time. And the thing is, is like you know, it's clear that there's a lot of appetite in the state and even among Republican voters for access to legal and safe abortion in a number of circumstances up to a certain point of time. But there's no indication that there is the will or the leadership in the state to then now craft the law to allow for those exceptions. And in fact, it looks like yeah. we're going to go in the opposite direction. And I just, you know, again, this is certainly. Like, I think this goes from an issue that Republicans were like, "Yeah, if the, you know, this is an you know abortion election, let's take it to, let's talk about the inflation."
0: Right. No, I think that's right. And I, and, you know, I mean, I think that it's um. You know, to the extent that in the broader you know, in the broadest possible terms of, you know, what the governing coalition, you know, what the governing group is doing in the state and how they respond to voters, they put themselves in a position that's going to be very difficult to be responsive to where public opinion actually is. Now, talk about, we've talked about this on the podcast before. This is going to be a real interesting test of the thermostat hypothesis. Yes. (laughs) You know uh, associated with our with our colleague chris lesion which i think is you know very useful in a lot of in a lot of circumstances mm-hmm. but whether the s- institutions and structures that we're seeing in politics right now have changed to the extent that you know the thermostat may be broken on this it's 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 difficult as you say i think it's very difficult to see responsiveness yeah. on this in p- particularly in the short term or even in the medium term of the of the next legislative session
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, the question is, you know, if the thermostat's broken, does it need to be tinkered with or do you need to replace the unit? And I think, you know, that's a question, you know, I think is going to we're going to keep having kind of going forward. But I think, you know, your point is a really good one. and I want to make this explicitly, you know, took 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade, just about. Right. And so I think, you know, for anyone right now who's on the other side of this, you know, thinking about talking about like the answer is not happening tomorrow and it's not happening in an election cycle this is going to happen over a number of election cycles in terms of what the fallout to this is. And so, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that's not helpful, for example, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of way not to mobilize, I think Beto is immediately out after this because, said, well, if I'm governor, you know, I'll over, you know, I'll overturn right. all this. And it's like, no, you won't, sir. But I think yeah, also there's not, a certain, likely. not likely, but there's a, but that's an important point to be, you know, honest about this. like, no, he won't. But the other thing that won't happen is if you don't want, you know, further enforcement around this. That's I mean, that's kind of where you're at right that's now. That's gonna be the
0: argument, right? That's the I argument, mean, right? Yeah. Now. I mean he, you know, as you know, he would not be the first editorial no, candidate to overpromise what he could do as governor. But that signal is an important one and how it's received but, is important. And I think it it also, you know, before we close out, it also it also raises a point that we were talking about before we started that I think is worth raising here. And it is about the you know, what goes on in the, you know, the areas of public opinion that are harder to plumb. Yeah. And that is, there may very well be, and I think this gets to both, the, goes back to the dissatisfaction with the abortion question, mm-hmm. that the standard abortion question, but also points to you know, another way that we've asked this question to foreshadow in a poll that we just got out of the field that we'll be releasing next week. You
1: know, data collected just before this decision. Just
0: before, and the data was collected just before the decision, and that is... You know, I think there may have been some folks out there, particularly Republican voters, who may have said, yeah, I'm okay with Roe v. Wade being repealed. Right. But may not have quite been fully aware of what the consequences of that were. Oh, but that would mean no abortion exception for rape and incest?
1: Well, right. And the, and the answer is going to have to get better. I mean, the answer that Abbott originally had months ago to, well, we're going to eliminate rape, That's, the answer is going to have to get a lot better.
0: Right. And, and i think that you know once you really you know it's going to be interesting to see like if that was the case right and and, and what i mean by that was the case you know when we ask people and when we've been asking people when in, in polling for you know decades us and others about roe v wade how much what did people really read into that and when they get when they get what they thought they wanted how many people were to go oh well i didn't
1: well, yeah. It, I didn't think it was that. Well, Roe v. Wade, I mean, if anything, I mean, just with your point, I mean, Roe v. Wade is like a marker. You know, it's not that people know what the legal rationale of right. Roe v. Wade is on average. What it is is it's sort of a, it's, you know, to some extent for a lot of people, it's, you know, your orientation toward it is, is some version of a statement on whether you consider yourself pro life or pro choice. Right. But and even and within those groups, there's a lot of gray area. And that's right. the main point I think, you know, to take away from this overall, you know, there's yeah. a lot of gray area about what people think about abortion attitudes. And part of that's because it's hard to ask about. Part of that's because a lot of, Dimensionality to it, as we say, a lot of various aspects that matter: time, right. circumstance, people's own individual morality, etc cetera. Um, but the takeaway, regardless of how you ask it, is that very few people would say never, right? Which is basically where we are right
0: now. And and you know, it's been you know the a lot of the standard questions. You know, I mean, we've asked, we've broken this down before in the past. Yeah. We've now tried to do it again, but you know, it at a very practical level, just to be frank. You know, it takes a lot of space on a poll to do that, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to do it right. And I think, you know, we're and I, I think the fact that we're going to see a, a lot more detailed polling on this going forward is going to be an artifact of that. And that detailed polling is also going to have to now engage a whole range of new conditions and new questions about this.
1: It's going to be a lot different polling on abortion right now, because we are going to have to start asking about enforcement questions about, you know, right. specific exceptions. And it's going to be, yeah, I mean, it's gonna take a lot of space and a lot of surveys. But ultimately, the part of it is like, it's a pretty big thicket.
0: Yeah. And and there's going to be some, you know, and they're going to be, I suspect, so, you know, we're going to have to sort of be patient on this. It's one of those things, where I think we're going to have to be very careful, you know, to not, you know, as we always are, but it's gonna This is going to be one of those areas. And be very careful to not create opinion before it's pulled it's true before sh- it's formed
1: yeah and i think another important thing for people to take away you know since you're the podcast with the pollsters here is just because this is a really big issue and a big decision and it's going to have a lot of political ramifications doesn't mean that it's going to become the driving factor instead of the economy right. or instead of something else it may not
0: and you know uh, and, and it's almost you know i mean i think the other point about you know to follow up on the previous point i mean i it's almost as if you know this is going to shake and we started with this, and this is a good place to end. You know, we've noted that these these attitudes, as we've asked about them, have been stable for a very long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It will be interesting. We're going to have you know it's going to be tricky to be able to track that stability and whether that's disrupted in a way that has continuity with previous questions we've asked, mm-hmm. but also cover these new areas. And so that's that's going to be a big challenge moving forward. So I think with that, uh, I'm going to thank Josh for being here. Uh, Thank you for listening. As always, I want to thank our crew in the audio studio here in the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin. We've talked about a lot of data here. You can find that data at at our website at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. As I suggested, we will have uh, some fresh polling coming out soon. Look for that right after the Fourth of July holiday. Um, In the meantime, enjoy that 4th of July holiday. Take a breather. It has been, if you are listening to this and you follow politics, it has been a brutal few weeks. You know, no matter what side you're on, it's been, or what your view or what you're focused on issue-wise, it's been a very busy few weeks. Uh, Enjoy the 4th of July, and we'll be back soon with another Second Reading Podcast. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.